Welcome back to another episode of the Andrew Amon Show. I'm so happy that you tuned in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. By the way, let me share with you some of the most recent uh, reviews that came in. Five stars. Breathtaking. From Anonymous. Five stars. Groundbreaking. Five stars. Unbelievably amazing. Man, what can I say? Those are just the reviews that are coming in. Hey, let that be your voice. Let that be your voice. Uh, little disclaimer so I don't get sued. I, ch- I just made up those reviews on the spot. But do give us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us. Subscribe on YouTube wherever you're watching. And uh, so you can see more coming up because they're always coming. Today, I want to share with you the question I was most afraid about and of being asked when I was young. Couple context. Uh, grew up in the Christian household. Grew up always knowing God existed, and I love God. I love church. But the question I was most afraid of was actually about someone that I loved, and that was God. What if someone asked me, "How do you know that God exists?" Okay, let's let's kind of play that that scenario. You know, um, as a Christian, I, I want to share the love of Jesus with other people, and there's a lot of people who don't believe in the existence of God. And um, thus, they don't really believe in Jesus being God and, and everything like that, everything that I believe. And uh, so I would go up to someone and ask, hey, I just want you to know that, that Jesus loves you. Who? Like, like it, it's funny, but it's hard to tell that to, to, uh, to a Latino person. I just want to tell you that Jesus, Jesus, my cousin, my cousin Jesus loves me. I know my cousin loves me. Why not? No. <laughs> okay. Look. The thing about the thing about the existence of God, though, is that we all have an opinion on it. Everyone has an opinion on it. That's why I was afraid of being asked it because I didn't really have an answer. It's not that I didn't believe in God's existence. I just didn't know how or how to express that. See, the Bible actually tells us in the book of Second Peter to be always ready with an answer. It's interesting because it says a defense. Here's my question. A lot of Christians have an answer. A lot of them do. Why do you believe God exists? Because I, because he's good. And why do you believe in God? Because he's good, because he's faithful. We all have an answer. But do we have a defense? Do we really have a defense of the existence of God? Because the Bible tells us to have a defense, not just an answer, but an actual defense. So hopefully in today's episode, you will learn a defense for the existence of God. If you don't believe that God exists, hopefully this will challenge you to rethink that and give you some tools and just a logical way to believe in God, that it's not blind faith. And I don't know why it's happened recently where believing in God and just believing in reason in general are seen as opposites. Like either you believe, either you're a man of science or you're a man of God. It's either one. Look, you cannot be, you cannot be a man of science and a man of God. You cannot be that man. It's just not possible. When did that start? Okay, because look, I have plenty of examples of people who are men of science and men of God. For example, Mr. Francis Bacon, the man who invented French bacon. I'm just kidding. No, Francis Bacon uh, was best known. He was a scientist. He was born 1561, died in 1627. He was best known for the promotion of the scientific method, like literally the method that all scientists use. He was the one who really promoted it and brought it to the forefront, was a devout Anglican. That's a Christian. Guess what? Albert Einstein, not a Christian, but did believe in the existence of a God. 
Super important. He was not an atheist. I will quote him. He said, I believe in Spinoza's God who reveals himself in the lawful harmony of all that exists, but not in a God who concerns himself with the fate of doings of mankind. He just said two things. Albert Einstein said two things. He said, I do believe in God, but just I'm not in a personal God. That's fine. Because for this episode, we're just proving the existence of a God. In another episode, we're going to see how God is actually personable and is displayed through Jesus Christ. And this episode is just the existence of God. Robert Boyle. Hey, in the morning when you boil those hard-boiled eggs, think about Robert Boyle. I'm just, he actually didn't invent that. But he did invent what we know as the Boyle's Law, that the volume of gas varies inversely with pressure. If you've ever taken the chemistry class, you've heard of Robert Boyle. It's just that simple. He lived in 1791, died in 1867. He was actually a huge proponent of, of Christianity. Let me quote something from him. He said, The Christian religion brings mankind diverse positive benefits, such as are more clear and extensive knowledge of God, divine things, the remission of sins, the favor of God, several graces, and in, in virtue suitable to men's respective needs and conditions, and above all, a happy immortality in the life to come. So I think he was a man of God, but no one can deny that he wasn't a man of science. He was definitely a man of science. And you know, it's not only them. Nicholas Copernicus, I never knew his his name kind of rhymed. Nicholas Copernicus, write a rap, rap song about that, was a mathematician. If you don't know his name, I believe many of us should know his name. He was a mathematician and an astronomer who proposed the idea that the sun was actually the center of our solar system because... I don't know if you knew this, but back then, in his time, people actually thought that the Earth was the center of uh, was the center of the solar system. I laugh because I think of all the people that just think the world revolves around them. Like that's an that's an antiquated idea. Okay, Copernicus disproved that when he proved that the sun was actually in the middle. And his motivation to share that truth was actually his belief in God. He quoted this. He said this quote: "Loving duty to seek the truth in all things." insofar as God has granted that to human reason. That was his reasoning to go against the crowd, the intellectual crowd, the atheist crowd, as well as the church crowd. In his time, believed the earth was the middle. It was even almost church doctrine to that point. So it wasn't like he was doing it for fame because it was not going to give him fame. Actually, his ideas weren't even accepted until after his life and after he passed away. The last person I'm going to bring up, by the way, there's so many examples of people who were men of science also men of God and men of faith, was Isaac Newton. Yo, if you don't know that name, Isaac Newton, go back to school, start in preschool, okay? Because he's the one who gave us the three laws of motion. And he actually said this in one of his writings. I will quote it. Quote, And from true lordship, it follows that the true God is living, intelligent, powerful, and from other perfections, that he's supreme, supremely perfect, he's eternal and infinite, omnipotent and omniscient, and that is he endures from eternity to eternity, that he is present from infinity to infinity. He rules all things. He knows all things that happen or can't happen. Yo, if someone believes in God is that man, make him preach, okay? Now, one, one thing to note, of course, is that Isaac Newton wasn't necessarily a follower of Christ, but he did believe in the supreme being like God, basically God. Um, so that shows you that there was no quarrel between faith and science, at least back then. For some reason, recently, in at least in our culture, it's telling us, hey, you, you're either a man who believes in science or you're a man who believes in God. 
It's just that you have those two options, and that's about it. Well, I want to say no. It's not just about it. You can actually believe in both because science is a discovery of things. Sci- okay. Let, let's put it this way: science doesn't really tell you the why; it tells you the what, right? It doesn't tell you, it doesn't tell you why something's good or why something's bad. It just tells you what it is. When it comes morally speaking, and science is, it discovers things, right? It discovers, but you couldn't even do science if God wasn't related, because you need order to do science. You need order. For example, putting a man on the moon. All the calculations, all the mathematical equations that needed to balance on the unnatural laws and everything, and gravity and and pressure and everything like that, including Boyle's law, could not be relied on if there wasn't order to nature. And there can't be order to nature from chaos, as it's assumed by atheists who doesn't believe in God, and it was just chaotic creation. That's not really possible, and that's not reliable. But but we see in our natural experience that. It is reliable, you know. We can count that if I were to fall right now, I will fall. I will not float because gravity is reliable. And、uh, so th- those men can just show you that it's not an either or. And for the rest of the episode, I want to share with you two arguments for the existence of God. Now, if you do believe in God, hopefully this will strengthen you, and this will show you that there is actually an intellectual way to believe in God. It's not blind faith. It really is not. God has never called us to believe in Him in blind faith. Faith is just trusting. So even if someone like take the example of Abraham in the Bible, right? It's not actually blind faith. Like someone could say, okay, yeah, it is blind faith. But the reason I don't say it's blind faith because he trusted. He trusted in who God was or who he thought he was. It wasn't just blind. It was trust put in someone. He didn't have a lot of a lot of idea. Of anything else of where he was going, and the Bible read that story for yourself. But he did have a trust in who God was, so it wasn't exactly blind per se. And now to these two、um, arguments for the existence of God. We're gonna head over to the classroom here. Welcome to Logic One Hundred One. In one argument, it's gonna be a little bit technical. The words are gonna be a little bit repetitive, but please pay close attention because this. Is a great way to prove the existence of God with logic and philosophy. The second one is what we call a moral argument. This is very appealing to everyone who's a human being, <laughs> because we all believe in morality, whether you accept it or not. So let's start with the first one. The first one is actually called the Aristotelian argument. Aristotelian from Aristotle, and this is how it goes. Aristotle believed, and that's my 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 big G Aristotle.、Uh, back in the day, he believed. That there was an unmoved mover, a cause to all the effects in the world, right? The cause of all causes, and、um, and this is why you see there is always change in the world, right? We grow older, coffee grows colder. It's just the way it is. Now, the very existence of that change, all it is, is potential that is actualized. So the potential of the coffee going cold is actualized by turning on the AC. And the potential of the AC turning on is actualized by me turning it on. Thus, I think you get the point. Well, what we're talking about is not necessarily that linear of I turn this and this turns that and this turns that, but what keeps everything existing right now? The very thing for this table to the potential of this table to hold my computer is currently right now being actualized by the floor. Right now, if there was no floor. 
this table would not hold. But the floor right now is being actualized by its foundation. Like what is keeping you actualized right now, living? That row, this is what it assumes, and we're going to break it down. It goes like this. Whatever, let's just say C. For C, for the potential of C to be actualized, it needs to be actualized by D. And D, or let's go before, by B. B needs to already be actualized in order to actualize C. But then B needs to be actualized by A. And you just keep on going. You keep on going, keep on going. However, that cannot be infinite. There has to be a beginning. There has to be an unmoved mover that started everything but doesn't have to be moved itself. Or there has to be an actualizer that's purely actual and has no potential in it and it actualizes everything. Well, that's God. And we're going to see how. So there is an actualizer that actualizes everything because we see there's change. And that can only be one thing. It can't be two. Because if there's two, then that means there has to be a difference between one and two. And if there's a difference, that means that one has what what's the other one doesn't and vice versa. If that's the case, it means that one of them has a potential that needs to be actualized. And if that's the case, it's not the unmoved mover. It's not the actual actualizer. It has potential. It cannot have potential. It's purely actual. So there's only one. This one is unchanging because to be able to change, that means you have potential to be actualized. But this is purely actual. So it doesn't. So it's unchanging. It's only one. It's outside of time because if you're inside of time, it means you're capable of change, but it's outside of time. Thus, it's un- it's unchanging. It's outside of time. It's eternal because it's outside of time. And then it gets better. It's immaterial. Because if it was material, then it would be inside of time and it would be changeable. So now you're talking about something that is immaterial, that's unchanging, that it's eternal, that it's one. And guess what? It has to be perfect too. Because unperfection or not being perfect means you are lacking something. There is a potential to be actualized. But if it's purely actual, that means it's perfect. Everything's actualized. And it's also fully good because it's not lacking anything. It's actualized. So it's fully good. It's perfect. It's also all-powerful because if it's indirectly and directly actualizing everything that has potential in the world, then it has to have the power to do so, right? So it's all-powerful. And not only is it all-powerful, but it actually has intelligence because whatever is, the effect has to be in its cause, right? You can't give something that you don't have. It's just a simple, look, let's break it down. You really can't give something that you don't have. It's just that easy, right? It's like, um, let's say, Oh, like, like socialism, right? You give you give other people's money. That kind of works. But you can't give what you don't have, okay? And um, so that's how it works when creating something. Whatever the cause is, this God has to have everything it creates, but it can't have it in a material way because obviously if God created trees, it doesn't have to mean that he has to be a tree. No, it, it can't be that way because he's not material. So it has to exist in this being in an abstract way. In an abstract way, means he has to have intelligence. That's the only way that he can believe that it's in an abstract way. That's the second thing. So it's all-powerful. It has intelligence. And if it has intelligence, that means if it created everything and everything has to be in its intelligence, that means it's all-knowing. It's omniscient. And if it's omniscient, here's what you end up with. After all that long explanation of conclusions and everything, you end up with something that is one, eternal, immutable, immaterial, incorporeal, perfect, fully good, omnipotent, intelligent, and omniscient. Sounds like God, doesn't it? 
Thus, God exists. So that's called the Aristotelian argument. Read it more for yourself. Actually, I got it from this book called Five Proofs of the Existence of God. You can see my awesome, ugly bookmark right there. And uh, read it. It's Five Proofs of the Existence of God by Edward Fester. Now, this following argument, moral argument, is actually a little bit, it's easier to understand because you and I are both human. I think you and I both agree that evil exists in the world. It's not up to subjective opinion. Uh, Rape is not up to subjective opinion. Um, Violence and terrorism and and murder of the innocent, that's that's pure evil, right? But if evil exists, then we have to assume that good exists, right? And if evil and good exist, there has to be. There has to be a law that differentiates between what's good and what's evil basics i think i think we're both in the same lane i got you i got you okay that law then there must be a lawgiver there can't just be a law that no one gave it there has to be a lawgiver that lawgiver cannot be you or cannot be me because it's not like i like blue you like red we're happy no this is talking about morality and it can't be the government either sorry to break it to you but if it is the government then the government can decide whatever is good and bad. That is uh, totalitarian, totalitarian, totalitarianism, totalitarianism. I can't even say it. It's just evil. It's dictatorship. Okay, it's dictatorship. And uh, for a government to decide, it's like the Nazi Germany, a uh, Nazi regime in Germany in the 1900s, killing all those six million Jews. Well, if it's the government then that's not bad. But you, both you and I agree that's pure evil. So it can't be any human because humans are imperfect. And I think you and I both agree with that. So it has to be some, someone that is perfect and above that, thus God. But if you deny the existence of God, then you deny the existence of a moral law. And if you deny the existence of a moral law, you deny the existence of good. And if you deny the existence of good, you must deny the existence of evil. Thus, there's no evil in the world. But we do know that there's evil. And if there's evil, there's good. If there's evil and good, there is a moral law. And if there is a moral law, there is a God. A lot faster than the other argument, but they're both extremely compelling and extremely true. So I want to encourage you with the, with these. If you've never heard of them, do some more research. I want to encourage you. If you do believe in God right now, hopefully this strengthens you and gives you a way to believe in God where it's not just my parents told me he exists. No, you actually have reason and it's logical. There's a book that says it takes more, it takes, um, I don't have the faith to be an atheist, it's called, which is true. It takes less faith to be a Christian than it is to be an atheist. And we can talk about that more. I encourage you to read that book. And so through this episode, what we did is we proved the existence of God. Now, quick thought, we didn't necessarily prove that Christianity or Jesus is God, Right. But we definitely prove that God's existence is real. So if you're an atheist, I do encourage you to look at these arguments, research them for yourself, and make your make your own decision. But God's existence is there. So any religion, uh, quote-unquote religion like Buddhism or anything that doesn't believe in a deity is false just because of these arguments. Just in any... Um, polytheistic religion that believes in more deities than just one or more ultimate deities is also wrong because as we saw in the argument there's only one unchanged unmoved mover so we saw all this but we haven't quite proven that christianity is the only real religion so so far you, you religions like islam or judaism or christianity they're all they're all good right because they believe in one deity and they believe in the god so in the next episode 
Um, in the coming episode, we're going to prove and I'm going to share with you why I believe that Christianity is the only true religion and that Jesus is God. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss it.